Jordan, you're a great professional, but tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! So, on the red agenda this week, we'll be talking Virgil van Dijk and life without him for the foreseeable future. Where does Jurgen Klopp turn now? And of course, the Champions League is back, and we'll look at the challenges that lie ahead with Ajax first up. I'm Steve. Steve Hothersall. Alongside me are top LFC writers Simon Hughes, James Pierce, and Kiva O'Neill. Now, for a limited time only, we're offering you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month. You can read all of the writing on Liverpool and so much more. It's all on there now. Just head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod and sign up for just £1 a month. Right, let's get straight to uh, to James and the news surrounding Virgil van Dijk. Um, devastating for the player himself. His season, I, I presume, James, is most likely over. Yeah, it, it certainly looks that way. I think it was a case of worst fears being being realised uh, on, on Sunday afternoon. I think speaking to, to players and staff on the aftermath of, of the derby at Goodison, I think, you know, deep down everyone feared the worst um you know you only have to look at Virgil van Dijk's appearance record to know that it was going to have to be something bad to force him off at, at such an early stage in the Merseyside derby and um yeah unfortunately the the scan and the consultation with the uh, with the specialist um led to that news that he requires surgery on his damaged ACL and his right knee and or, or, although Liverpool are you know are reluctant to put a time frame on it because that, of course it depends on how the rehab goes and the speed of his recovery. But um, yeah, it would be a big surprise if he was to play any further part this season. And you know, I don't think you can, you can even begin to sugarcoat that, can you, in terms of just how devastating it is because you know Liverpool suffered some setbacks last season in terms of losing key personnel. But to lose Van Dijk, you know, their, their absolute defensive linchpin and, and leader and organiser, you know, the best centre-half in world football, for such a long period is, you know, is is nothing short of, of heartbreaking. And James, in terms of the extent and the nature of the injury, is it just about as bad as you can get in terms of a, an ACL problem? Well, it, they haven't released the, the full details on the extent of the damage. Liverpool have, have, have just said it's a, you know, a torn ACL that will require surgery and that that will be booked in at, at some point. Uh, this week, and then I think I think it'll be once once the operation has taken place that they'll have a you know a clearer idea on you know just how much work it had to go into repairing the damage, and then um, you know can start putting together a time scale in terms of in terms of recovery. I mean, if you know sometimes with these kind of things, you know, with the advances in medicine, you know you can be looking at only six months, but you know for other players it's nearer eight or nine months. Which of course, you know, if it is at the top end of that scale, then not only is it the end of his domestic season, but also you know wrecking his hopes of of uh, of taking Holland into into the European Championships next summer. The the challenge from Jordan Pickford's side looked clumsy, stupid. What what's your take on it? Obviously, I'm sure you've watched it a hundred times, and the fact it went unpunished. Well, I think clumsy is generous. I mean, he. He went in like a cannonball, didn't he? Um, both feet nowhere near the ball. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't really like sort of freeze-framing incidents when they happen because 
obviously things happen in real time, but when you watch it in real time, the impact is, is devastating, really. I mean, I always think <laughs> Jordan Pickford, he reminds me of, I don't know if seen Me Machine and the, the Mad Monk goalkeeper who just constantly seems determined to try and have his impact on the game one way or another, getting involved in coming for crosses that he doesn't necessarily always need to, this sort of thing. So I'm not together all that surprised that, that Pickford's at the centre of this story because he he's had a particularly erratic season. I mean, he's, he's had an erratic 18 months ever since he... He, uh, he called Alison Becker out for, for saying he'd never make a mistake like that. He, it's just been a catalogue of errors, really. And yeah, it was it was a really ugly tackle. I mean, I, I can understand the sort of the, the conversation around it saying, you know, some of the players calling each other out last night on Sky Sports for tackles that they've made in the past. But I sometimes think that's a bit unhelpful listening to the players because the game has changed over the last even ten, five or 10 years. The rules have changed like that, that sort of tackle would have earned a red card in the 1980s, I thought. I, I can understand why it wasn't given because it's a bit of a bit of a grey area in the in the sort of in the decision making, you know, what happens after after the play has died. But there's got to be some judgments around, you know, the player's intent in the sense that he thought the game was still live and it was a really, really reckless tackle. I mean, I don't want to sound too dramatic because, you know, I, I understand the world is full of drama at the moment, but, you know, it's a sort of tackle that could end a player's career, I, I think. And um, to not get punished in the game, not get punished retrospectively, I just think it sends out a bad message, really. I accept it probably isn't violent conduct, but it's a really, really, really bad tackle. One of, one of the worst I've seen in the last, the last 10 years. It was quite interesting watching the... The reaction last night when uh, Lewis Dunk, or sorry, yesterday afternoon when Lewis Dunk got sent off for Brighton uh, for, for a two-footed lunge on Gary Cahill, and he was just given a straight red. I mean, I, I thought Pickford's was a lot more dangerous than that. So, yeah, it's it, 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 it's a bad one. I'm not sure what, what what sort of message it sends outside, the, the fact that you don't get punished yeah. after um, an offside decision has been I mean, given. I, I, I'm all for, you know, sort of a, a more physical game, but you've got to be in control of what you're doing at all times. And he's, he's totally lost control. I mean, it, 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 as I said, both feet are above the ball. Nowhere near the ball's actually going out of play, and by, by the point that he actually collides with the middle of, you know, the, it's it's halfway up Virgil Van Dijk's leg. You know, the full force of the weight of his body, not just his studs, are showing. It's it's the weight of his body that that creates that damage, and that uh, I suppose the the technical term is that the hypertension in his leg. I mean, it it's amazing that he hasn't sort of broken his leg as well. I mean, it, it was just a, a horror tackle, and uh, I, I do think that they're going to have. I mean, constantly looking at reevaluating the rules all the time time and it seems like it is one grey area which is, is being missed and I'm not saying players are going to deliberately do whatever they can you know because as I said Jordan Pickford thought that that ball was live when he did it yeah it was just a, it was it was one of the as I said it's one of the worst that, that I've I've seen it's, it's not, I'm not just saying this because it's a Liverpool player I can't think of too many other tackles that have been that high and that forceful I mean we haven't even got going about Richarlison yet have we <laughs> no 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 Liverpool have obviously asked the Premier League to look at the, the VAR decision again Kiva and, and explain the lack of action from the VAR official which was David Coote but I think most of us probably don't expect any result from that yeah, sometimes, you you know, I think the fans want the question asked more than maybe sometimes the club want to ask it because it just feels pointless, doesn't it? And even the fans shouldn't want it asked anyway because the answer you get back is not going to bring Virgil van Dijk's season back, is it? 
you know, it was such a reckless challenge. But then, as Simon mentions there, obviously, Richarlison gets sent off after the play. So, you know, you've got to be fair throughout the game. And I don't know, Michael Oliver's probably one of the best referees in the Premier League and, you know, in Europe, indeed. You know, he's a brilliant ref, but I just think he should take that game more by control there. It just feels like sometimes they've got the mate in, the, in Stockley Park and they don't feel like they can go against what they've already determined and I feel like that's the main problem with VAR they don't want to sort of call out the VAR referee a reluctance to make the, make the big decision really yeah I think you know if if he goes over and looks at his screen which you know they did referees did start doing at the start of the season but then that seems to have fallen by the wayside again um, you know if he goes over Michael Oliver surely sends Jordan Pickford off there um, if he goes over for the offside he surely gives it onside I just don't know why that ability to do that isn't, you know, maybe, I mean, you know, listening to Simon talk about technology, you're kind of agreeing with him thinking, what's the point in it? But if if it is here, we need to improve it. And maybe do we give challenges out like in tennis or cricket, you know, you get so many re- video reviews. I think, you know, Liverpool probably would have used theirs up on, on the Pickford challenge. Um, and just coming on to Van Dijk's injury, you almost think, you know, as mad as it is, you think if he would have broke his leg, he would have been back sooner. ACL's the worst injury that can happen to a footballer. And I think it's the fact that he's he's probably going to miss the season, but then you're not sure how he's going to come back as a player. Like It, it changes a lot of players. If you look at Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, he's out injured at the minute. You know, it just it can have that effect on players. And I think that's the worry. But obviously, you know, Van Dijk's been above and beyond anyone in, in world football in terms of defenders on and just professionals. So, you know, maybe you can't do it in, in half the time. And, you know, that's what I think we'll all be hoping. Let, let's hope so. I don't know about you, Kiva, but at the time, and I thought it was a bit strange because he just walked off the pitch. I know he hobbled, but we've seen people suffer these injuries and they've been stretched off the pitch. And Virgil van Dijk literally walked without a grimace on his face. And I think at that moment, I I was a little bit more confident. Um, and then obviously as time progressed, you, you heard the news about how bad it was. Yeah, I think it, it sort of gave us all a false hope, didn't it? That he'd be OK. I've seen players walk off before. I think Fabinho done it last season. He I think he carried on playing for a little bit and then he went off and it was a bit of a bad injury. Not sure how long he was out for. And it's kind of like, you know, you look back on it and think just just lay down and get stretched off before you're putting any more weight and making it worse but yeah when he walked off he kind of thought maybe he's all right maybe he just took a bit of a knock and maybe he did think that himself when Oxley chamberlain done his he was obviously in a lot of pain and had to get stretched off but van dyke you know i mean he's he's just a different kind of player isn't he does he feel pain i'm not sure <laughs> Right, let, let's move on to the effect of it. I mean, obviously two seasons of unparalleled success for Liverpool and, you know, a lot of it is built around Virgil van Dijk. He's a player you don't want to see out of the team, James, and um, Liverpool haven't really had to do without him. So what is the consequence of this? Well, yeah, the, the fear is that the consequences will be, will be huge because, as you said, you know, everything that this Liverpool team has achieved that's been so special over the last, what, probably two and a half years... He's been absolutely integral to it. You know, when you look back, I think it's 93 successive Premier League starts going back to to January 2018. I think during that period, the only real game of significance he missed was, of course, the 
the first leg of the, the Champions League knockout tie against Bayern Munich. But, you know, even that game was, was one where Bayern were, were very much set up to frustrate Liverpool anyway. And um, so, yeah, we don't, we don't, I think it's just a real kind of un- unknown, really, this, this for Liverpool. You know, what just... You know, the fear is that he is so influential that we will see um, a massive Virgil van Dijk-sized void for the rest of the season. But, you know, the challenge for, for Klopp and for and for the players is to try and ensure that that isn't the case and that, you know, it's not similar to what happened with Man City last season when they lost Laporte for, for a long period. But it's so bad and such a, and a horrendous setback, I think, it's it's difficult to try and paint mm. it in any other light at the moment. I mean, you just hope that that Gomez and Matip can both stay fit. I think you know, of course, Matip's had a lot of injury problems. I think Saturday was the first time he'd got through ninety minutes in the Premier League for for twelve months, which kind of puts into context his issues. Um, you know, it, Van Dijk's setback is bound to reignite the debate over why Liverpool didn't go and sign a replacement for Day and Lovren in the summer. You know, we've talked previously about how that was one area of the squad where they were left light. Um, it's going to force, I think, a rejig in midfield a fair bit this season because I think we're going to see Fabinho playing centre-half, you know, a lot of times. And it may even present some amazing opportunities to to some of the young players. You know, of course, we saw Reese Williams really step up and deliver in the Carabao Cup games. But, you know, of course, it's still a, a huge leap to go from there to doing it in the the Premier League or the, the Champions League. And, and I suppose the other thing will be, you know, I'm sure Klopp and Michael Edwards will be assessing potential transfer targets for, for January. And, you know, but, you know, Liverpool have got 17 games across the Premier League and the Champions League between now and January. So, you know, for the most part, this season really does hinge on on those that are already there trying to step up and, and try and ensure that Van Dijk isn't as missed as, as much as we all fear he will be. It's definitely uncharted territory, isn't it, for the team? Um, it's obvious the great defender, the goal scorer, the captain in waiting, the the leader, his contributions, massive. But it, is it too big, side to say at the moment, no Van Dyke, no title? I mean, I think he is irreplaceable. And I, I understand, you know, over the summer, people have been saying Liverpool have got to go and sign another centre-half. But I just don't think there's another player out there of the profile really that, that Liverpool could have got that, that could have made this situation a bit easier I know obviously Koulibaly at Napoli a fantastic player who I think has, has done really really well against Liverpool particularly in the games in Naples over the last couple of years but I just can't see Liverpool spending the sort of money that Napoli want for a, a player who thinks 29-30 years old but I mean, I, I think you've got to look. It's not just about what Liverpool do as well, is it? It's, it's about the Premier League and the, the patterns of the Premier League, the way it's going at the moment. And to me, even before the injury, I, I sort of thought the team that scores the most goals this season is going to be the one that wins the league. I mean, in the past, you sort of managers have said that it's it's sort of the defences that, 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 that win you the titles, but just all the teams are conceding goals even before... Virgil van Dijk got injured. Liverpool conceded 11, which is incredible, really. I mean, but let's have it right. I mean, Liverpool are going to miss him massively. It's not just his on-field impact, it's off the field as well. I mean, I've looked at the responses on social media. I understand sort of players always say nice things about other players when either good or bad things happen, but you can really sense, you know, looking at some of the social media posts from the other players, how... How devastated they are for him as well because he's he's not just viewed in the Liverpool dressing as a leader. He's he's somebody who's well respected and well well liked. I remember when he he first signed for the club and I think we were interviewing. I think James 
probably must have been involved in that interview as well with Alex Oxlade Chamberlain. It was just before Liverpool played Manchester City, and um, I think everybody was expecting Oxlade Chamberlain to come into the team and replace Coutinho, and that was why he he was doing that interview. And he just sort of said, you know, that Van Dijk had only been there, I think, a fortnight, and he was just really saying he settles in so quickly like in terms of he's always like the main man in the dressing room and I think when you pull that person out it's not just on the pitch it's it's what happens to bad moments after Liverpool you know can see goals or, or, mm. or in the days after a, a, an iffy result he's the sort of person that pulls people together so it's a big responsibility for Joe Gomez and Joel Matip two players who whose own injury records haven't been great I mean can Joel Matip play three games on the bounce it's, it's going to be a big test I think the only time he's he's sort of done that was the season when they, they won the Champions League and he was excellent that season I actually thought Matip had a decent game on Saturday as well you know I think on the ball he's a lot better than people people think and he, he helped build Liverpool's play from the back but I still felt that at key times it was a sign of things to come really Everton's joy came through the big crosses you know into the box which Liverpool struggled to deal with and I think if Van Dijk's there that, that, that task becomes a little bit easier so teams are going to really try and put Liverpool under pressure I mean the, the, the sooner the, the one thing I will say is obviously we haven't seen a Liverpool team when Alisson's there but not Van Dijk do, do, do you know what I mean so in the past we had Van Dijk without without Alisson I think having Alisson there will, will help things hopefully he'll be back back sooner rather than later but yeah I mean it, it, it's, it's, it's an incredible blow for Liverpool but I mean I, I just think all the teams are beating each other at the moment and I can't really see the, the sort of points tallies that have been registered in the last few seasons going on to win the title this season I think there's going to be a lot of drop points and it's going to be about which team sort of ends up sort of holding the nerve a little bit more and not getting too flustered when when results go against them I mean the one thing we haven't discussed is the performance by Liverpool at Everton and I think they actually played really you know played played well and, and got a good point when you think you know everything went against them really this is The Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hothersall. Alongside me, uh, Simon Hughes, James Pearce and Kiva O'Neill. And Kiva, let's go with the same question to yourself about whether Virgil van Dijk is almost the difference between Liverpool winning the Premier League or losing their grip on the trophy. How do, how do you feel about it? It's an impossible thing, really, because, you know, for the past two years, he's just been a monster, hasn't he? And um, without him, I just feel like, you know, it's sort of similar to what happened with Man City when they lost, um, you know, defenders like Laporte, who put out a really nice message actually to Van Dijk um, this morning. I think it was just to say, you know, rivals, but no one would ever sort of be sort of laughing at anyone because, you know, I think he's had a bad injury, hasn't he, in the past? And I think that sort of losing such a key figure at this point in the season it's not like Liverpool have had five games and they've won every one you know they, they struggled to fill and you know there were even difficulties at Goodison Park so it is a concern knowing that like James said there's 17 games or whatever till January you know that feels like a long way off to be watching Matip and, and Gomez but obviously you know Alisson's to come back and I think he'll just instill a bit of confidence and then you know you've got Fabinho to drop in there as well and hopefully have the kind of spell he had in the second half at Stamford Bridge so you know it is a big loss but it's kind of maybe levelled the playing field a little bit I think Van Dijk if you look was probably the difference between you know them, them 18 points between Liverpool and Man City last season just because of how awesome he is you know, I think now it's sort of like going to be almost like a throwback and Liverpool are going to have to score a lot more goals than they already do 
just to sort of maybe help out the defence a bit more because you know which is mad yeah I mean it's a you know it's not where we want to be is it I mean it's uncomfortable I think just to have to watch games and be nervous about the defence for once which is which we're all going to have to do from now on because obviously without Alisson and Van Dijk you, you know you just watch the game in a different way there is that little bit of worry and concern about conceding um, you know I, I think you've just got to show support to the lads now and you know these are two brilliant defenders in Gomez and Matip but I just think obviously everyone always looks better beside Van Dijk um, which is always difficult but they've just got to you know go on a good run now and just show that you know that the players that train with Van Dijk every day anyway so they're in that sort of you know they're in that frame aren't they with them they understand how he plays and how, how he's so brilliant so hopefully you know Gomez can just turn into him for the next the next six months but it you know it is a worry I think when you look back at that Calvert-Lewin goal just the aerial ability Van Dijk brings is just levels above yes. isn't it um, I think Matip was winning a lot of headers but Joe Gomez did concern me a little bit he, he doesn't seem to get up as high he doesn't seem to maybe have as much maybe strength in that department but you know he's a young player and he's still building we didn't get Van Dijk till he was you know in his mid-20s Joe Gomez isn't even there yet so you know there's still a lot of improvements to make um, but yeah I think it probably does level the playing field um, but I think you know the attack have maybe got to take on a bit more now James you've done a cracking piece online which which talks on The Athletic about what Liverpool do from here and who's available and who perhaps the manager would go with and there, one stat that absolutely stood out to me when I read it and I couldn't believe it you've put here remarkably Joe Gomez and Joel Matip have never started a Liverpool game together at centre back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've started. They've started a fair few with obviously Gomez playing fullback. Yeah. But um, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't believe that. Actually, I did <laughs> double check, um, go back through the records, and um, yeah, when you think it's you, you, it, which is crazy when you think what Gomez has been at the club, what five years and Matip four years. But um, yeah, it's just it's just never never happened before. But it's you know of course they. They played together for for most of Saturday's game, and 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 you know as long as they can stay fit, they're gonna be seeing a hell of a lot more of each other as a as a partnership going forward. I think. Do, do you trust them? Well, do you know what I mean? Individually, I think they're they're both fantastic players. What what worries me with them as a combination, and probably is one of the reasons why they've never played together as a semtech combination before, is. They're both relatively quiet. I wouldn't say either of them fit into that kind of natural leader, organiser, cajoling people around you category. And I think they're both players who have benefited massively from having Van Dijk alongside them. Um, but the challenge for them now is, you know, they both have to come out of their shell. You know, I think um, possibly it doesn't maybe come naturally, but they're going to have to because, you know, Liverpool's season absolutely def- depends on it so they're going to have to find their voices and they're going to have to take on more responsibility It's fascinating to see how it turns out Look, Fabinho's a, d- a key name in this conversation as well, isn't he? He's impressed when he's been needed in that role, James How much is Jürgen going to look at using him? Would it be from the off? Is it the next step? Is it an immediate conversation he's having with the player? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I just think Matip's injury record suggest- I, just, I just don't think he's going to play you know what? To be said, what Liverpool have got seventeen games to the window opens. You know, will will Matip 
play double figures, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, no no guarantees. But I, I think we're going to see Fabinho playing centre-half a lot this season. I, I also think he, he probably is more of a dominant figure um, than either Gomez or Matip. Uh, I thought he played exceptionally well there down at Stamford Bridge in the win over Chelsea. The, the, the only concern for me is what that then, the knock-on effect of that on Liverpool's midfield, because I thought... I thought Fabinho was exceptional in the derby at the, at the weekend. I thought he absolutely bossed that battle with with Alan, and the mid, you know, it, it kind of get, has got forgotten because of the controversy, because of the injuries, just how well Liverpool played, and and such a big part of that was was the midfield functioning so well with you know with Thiago and Henderson operating ahead of Fabinho, and of course, if you drop Fabinho into the back four, then. You know, you, you then really miss him in that in that kind of defensive shield position. Right. Well, let's talk tactics a, a bit more. A couple of weeks ago, after the Arsenal game, side, we we talked about this incredibly high line. I mean, they play a high line anyway, but I think for that game, it was ridiculously high. And and those tactics are largely built around Virgil Van Dijk, aren't they? So so how how big's the rethink on this now? Yeah. Well, it, I found it a bit strange at the weekend because Liverpool did seem to drop a bit deeper against an opponent that wants to get the ball in the box. Whether that was the intent to, to, to encourage them to go longer, because I mean, I, I thought Everton sort of abandoned the, the sort of football that they've been playing uh, this season. I don't know if there's out of respect to Liverpool. I mean, Ancelotti obviously has come up against Liverpool probably more than, than most managers in, in, the, in the last couple of years at various games and has had quite a lot of joy against Liverpool. But I actually thought... Of all the Liverpool away performance against Ancelotti teams, it was probably one of the better ones from a Liverpool perspective. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw not just Fabinho, but Klopp will. You know, he, he has taken left field decisions in the past. He played Henderson centre half in the in the um, in the World Club Championship in in Qatar. Um, there's been in the past. I remember a game of Brighton he even played Wijnaldum centre half in a, albeit in a back three. Um, I mean, I, I, again, I mean, I, I, I sort of think that this season, the team that scores the most goals will win the league. So if you can get somebody at the back there who's going to sort of help build up the play from the back and accept that you're going to concede more goals, and then that might be the way forward. But it's going to take a big, a great deal of um, mental strength to, to accept that. I think if, you, if you're a top team and you're conceding, a higher number of goals. It's quite hard to just keep coming back at the, at the opposition. So it's going to be a big task for Klopp to sort of figure the balance out. Um, I mean, I, I thought Liverpool at the weekend played played well. Really, there was sort of a patch in the second, the start of the second half for twenty minutes or so where it, it, it wasn't a particularly easy game to watch. But aside from that period of the game, I thought Liverpool were the better team, played the better football, looked more th- threatening going forwards. I thought they had. You know, four or five players who, who were right on the top of the game. Andy Robertson, I thought, was excellent. Thiago, obviously, you know, he, he had something totally different to, to the way Liverpool play. Uh, just the short game, so incisive. I, I agree with James. I think Fabinho was, was excellent in the middle and I'd, I'd be, it'd be a shame to lose him there because I just think he wins so much possession. And then Jordan Henderson, absolutely brilliant captain's performance, I thought. And, and Mane, of course, who was just a, a constant nuisance. So it's a, a bit of a strange game to analyse in some ways because, you know, Liverpool, I thought, were the better team but didn't lose because of, despite everything went against them while... 
Everton will feel relieved because of the way the game ended, but still didn't win against Liverpool, even though the fortune all went their way. So I think both teams will come away from it, sort of having some regrets. Um, but it, the reaction from Liverpool, based on what happened at Villa, was very encouraging, I thought. You know, they were right on it. You know, they remembered who they were and and, and, and played very well. Um but as we said, we can't ignore the, the sort of the impact of the absence of Van Dijk will have, and it. it's it's going to be. I think it is going to be Jurgen Klopp's biggest challenge, really, to date, really, in terms of how he handles this and how he manages to if he if he manages to sort of figure out a solution to it. Because I, I don't think it's simple as simple to say. I, I think it might be impossible to replace Van Dijk because he is such a such a towering figure, such a great leader. I just think it's going to be almost impossible to do it, but there might be ways that he finds his way around the situation and negates the impact of it. But at certain points of the season, it's it's definitely going to be felt. Perhaps on any other day, we'd be talking more about Mo Salah Sai and his and his hundredth goal for Liverpool. Yeah. It's not even yeah. a storyline, is it? Because so many no. other things have been going around this fixture. Yeah, well, we haven't discussed obviously what happens with the offside goal either. I'm sure we're gonna we're, we're gonna come to that eventually. But I mean, Salah. I thought I had, I, had, I had a bit of a strange game on, on, on Saturday. You know, he's snatching at his chances a little bit, um, particularly in the first half. Got, got into some great positions, but but it, was, it seemed like he was in a bit of a rush. Um, but, I mean, he, he's an incredible player, Salah. And, you know, one, one of the... Will, will go down potentially as, as one of the greats if he kind of carries on at this rate. Will he go somewhere else? I, I, I don't know. I mean, if he, if he stays the rest of his career at Liverpool, he's, I think he's going to surpass um, some of the players above him. You know, some of the players who, who are considered as bona fide absolute legends, which I think he's way on that path already. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a great finish for the goal oh, as well. Oh, uh, it was, wasn't it? In- finish. Yeah. Instinctive, natural, un- unstoppable. Absolutely was. Um, Kiva, you, you can pick up on what Sai was talking about there, which was Henderson's disallowed goal. I'm still looking at the picture and <laughs> I'm thinking it makes zero sense whatsoever. Um, how, how can VAR be making those decisions at such crucial times? And, and even in hindsight, Looking at the image, do, do you understand it at all? No, to be honest, um, you know, when you look back at that, you straight away think it's a goal, there's not on in it. Um, it looks like Yeri Mina's foot is almost keeping, you know, Mane's foot is way behind Yeri Mina's, but is it something to do with his armpit again? I don't even don't even know. But then on the screen, you know, it did look onside even when they were measuring it up. So you just don't know how they've got to that decision. Um, you know, I was in the cinema, the biggest screen you could watch it on, and you know everyone was convinced. Yeah, it's on side, it's fine, it'll be a goal. So when it wasn't, I mean, you saw the look on Jordan Henderson's face. I mean, the captain deserved a goal, didn't he? I thought his drive and passion was there for all to see. He was brilliant, and that would have just been, you know, a brilliant way to sort of get back on track after Villa and round off what was a brilliant Liverpool performance. Um, I just don't know where you even start with it. It was just confusing. And it's happened to Liverpool before. This isn't the first time. And it'll happen to other teams, which is why, you know, rival fans will laugh and enjoy the screenshots and, you know, whatever. And, but it'll happen to them. And it sets an unwanted precedent, I think, for just for them to be able to get away with that without anything really said or done. Because it just, it's wrong, isn't it, really? Um we have to give credit to Thiago as well. Simon mentioned there his passing, but you know the way he almost he keeps the the fullback and the defender away from each other just by looking the other way. I mean, he's he's brought a whole 
different options to Liverpool's game, one that no one else has in world football. So it's going to be exciting, you know, as much as we've lost Van Dijk, we've we've gained an incredible midfielder there. And I think, you know, he'll, he'll absolutely boss it in the Premier League. Um, so that was just audacious wasn't it and brilliant and you know Mane looks on side and then Henderson you know Pickford gets to it but doesn't get to it um, which would have rounded off his crazy performance but then he just got away with it didn't he um, you know and I think that's what left the sort of bitter taste in, in Liverpool fans mouths it was he should be off the field you know Matip he clawed away Matip's header remarkable save um, save Trent Alexander-Arnold's free kick didn't he and you know if he's not on the pitch you know the the keeper coming on probably doesn't do that. Um, so, yeah, just so frustrating, especially for it to happen so late on. And, um, you know, Klopp was smiling after because I think sometimes if you if you don't if you don't laugh, you'll cry. <laughs> Lots of things. Steve, can I just make a point about I, I can't understand. I, I still can't really understand the rules around this because obviously it, it was clear that Mina's um, Mina's hand was was in line with with Mane. And in the ruling, it says that, you know, the hands don't count. Yet, if a hand is outstretched in the box and it hits the hand in any circumstance, it's a penalty. So why is the hand active for those situations, but not offside? I, I, I don't get it. I mean, people run, you know, with, with you use your arms and your hands to gain traction and, and momentum. So I, I don't understand why that is not part of the consideration, that it's just... If uh, I think it, is it the lower part of the, the arm or the high, upper part of the arm that is considered when it happens, I just don't get it. It's like this trying to contort the body, pe- people's natural instincts. There's an inconsistency in in the ruling between one decision and the next, and I think it's just creating this this sort of unhealthy conversation. Uh, Kiva touched on it. Then is that it seems to me that like uh, people are gonna. When it when it suits you, it's where it, you know it's it's funny and everything else. But you know, I, I think that fans generally don't like it. I've, I've mentioned this before. I remember, sorry to go on about the Villa game last season, but I will. I remember Villa were benef- beneficiaries of a decision, but it went to VAR review and they got given the goal and the fans after the game, after the goal had gone in, were singing about how much they hated VAR because it spoiled the spontane- spontaneity of the moment. I just think it's it's killing the, the sort of the, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but it's, it's, it's making people more reluctant to sort of let themselves go a little bit and just particularly at this time where it feels like the whole countries being ruled by diktat from you know a, a position far away in a bunker without any understanding of how natural people naturally react to things it just adds to that growing feeling that it, it's it's not really for me like it's it's not for me the way forward i've, I've always sort of accepted that the referees do make mistakes unfortunately i think the reason why we're in this situation is because the number of managers and the social media and the pile on that goes on towards referees i, I don't know whether uh, it just feels now we're just blaming people who we, who can't be seen or aren't even accountable for anything. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. 
In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from The Athletic, The Next Big Thing. Yeah, there's nothing better than, I don't think as a fan, to see a lad coming on for his debut and I love the way they can't even fill the shirt properly. It's an absolutely stunning goal! This season we'll be drawing on the knowledge of our incredible football writers to give you the ultimate briefing on the stars of tomorrow. You know, people always question, you know, what, what is the plan for these young players? Our experts know these players better than anyone else. That's the thing with him. I mean, when he, he made his debut with the first team, I, I sort of said to him before the game, I have no worry about you. You know, I just, I know uh, how confident you are in your own ability, but he hasn't got that overconfidence. It all starts on September the 28th with a full profile of Liverpool's Billy Cometio. Footballers now are getting so much criticism from all sections of society. They can't deal with it from the players they're meant to be playing with. They haven't got much of a chance, really. From what I hear, you know, he's, he's got a big personality and somebody who really believes in himself. That's the next big thing. The latest podcast from The Athletic. Right, you with the red agenda uh, on The Athletic. Let's have a look at the Champions League Group D. It's Ajax, Atalanta, uh, Michelin. Jurgen Klopp said it was a really strong group, but but is it, James? Um, Ajax, the uh, Eredivisie champions, Atalanta, quarter-finalists from last season, and Michelin de- debutants in the competition. On paper, it looks easier than some of the others, but is it easy or not? Yeah, it's it's certainly a group that I'd expect Liverpool to, to get through without too much fuss. I think even, even without Van Dijk, I think... Um, you know, I know, I know. Klopp kind of talked up the strength of it, but it, the draw could have been a, you know, a hell of a lot worse for, for Liverpool. Um, you know, I think, I think again, it, one of the biggest shames is that being given such an interesting group with opponents that we either haven't ever faced before, or haven't faced for so long, it's just, you know, a massive, another slug in the guts. I think for fans who would have absolutely relished these kind of trips, because you can imagine how many would have travelled across to to Amsterdam for this one, but. Um, but yeah, I you know I don't think Ajax are, are quite the force that they were a, a couple of years ago. I think obviously Midland, you'd you'd expect Liverpool to deal with them without too many troubles. I think the the most intriguing one for me in the group is Atalanta because you know anyone who watched them in the Champions League last season will know that you know they that they play a really exciting attacking brand of football. They they're great to watch and. They were they were only a, a whisker away from from knocking PSG out before um, some some late drama in the knockout stages. So um, so yeah, I think you know obviously probably not ideal preparation for Liverpool. Of course, losing Van Dijk and you know thankfully Thiago you know wasn't seriously hurt as a result of that horrendous assault by uh, Richarlison. Um, but he he won't feature in in midweek either. So um, you know and Allison. The good news with him is that he is well ahead of schedule. You know, initially Liverpool thought he'd be out until after the November international break, but he should be back in training later on this week. Should be back playing by the end of October, which means he'll be available for the the trip to Man City before the international break. But um, 
So, you know, not not too much longer to get through without him. But, you know, of course, they've still got to negotiate Ajax um, on Wednesday night first. Yeah, Ajax, recent semi-finalists, but sort of very strangely because they're, they're massive, aren't they? And as Liverpool are, it's, it's odd that they haven't come up against each other for many, many years, Si. Mm, it's, it's incredible. I think what years was mid sixties when Bill Shankly was, yeah, when Bill, Bill Shankly was the manager, and obviously Liverpool in a legendary match over in Amsterdam in the in the mist got absolutely tonked. Um, <laughs> so when you consider the, the the histories of of both clubs, you know, very rich in Europe to, to not play each other in a competitive game. I know Liverpool being over in Amsterdam for for pre season tournaments since. So I think the last one was under Gerard Houllier. Um yeah, it, it, it's incredible, and I, I do echo James's uh, frustrations there because you know Amsterdam, great city to go and have a have a drink in. Uh, to miss out on on that trip is is, is a massive shame. Um, but they, they've they have sort of quite a strange existence. Ajax as a club now. I mean, they're, they're clear that clearly the biggest club in in Holland. Um, but you know, every time they, they gain any sort of momentum, really, uh, the, you know, the other clubs, Barcelona. Juventus, Real Madrid, some of the Premier League clubs are able to just take their best players, and the the, the club sort of accepts that. Really, that, that obviously that that happens. So I've been writing about it a bit this week, and it's quite interesting to see sort of twenty years ago when they won the Champions League and then reached the final the year after, and and then lost. I think ninety five, ninety six. They managed to keep that sort of group of players together for a much longer period of time than than uh, I think the public's perception might be. I think obviously at that time they had some experienced players but a lot of young players who were very talented and the, the, the perception was that they all left at once they didn't it took sort of three or four years for that team to break up whereas now you know as soon as Ajax have a bit of success the team breaks up very quickly after they lost to Tottenham in the, the Champions League semi-final in such dramatic circumstances in 2019 uh, you know I think that summer they lost lost seven seven players and then of the team that of the 14 players that played against Tottenham they, they've they've lost nine of those players since which is incredible really when you think about it so as James touched on there I, I don't think the team is is quite in the shape that it was when they, they re- reached the Champions League semi-final but they've still got some really good players they've they've, they've they had a, a difficult summer the summer before last where quite a few of the players didn't didn't quite click uh, but this summer there's there's a lot more confidence I think after some of the signings that they made uh, seem to make a bit more sense. So they're in this constant sort of battle against trying to maintain a team, but planning for the next team as well. Uh, because if they, if they have any amount of success, lots of the players are going to leave. So from time to time, you'll see a great, exciting Ajax team, but don't expect to see it year on year on year mm. because of the way football has gone. You know, they're, they're, they're essentially quite vulnerable now to, despite being a huge club, one of the biggest clubs in Europe, you know the the, the vulnerable to, to the sort of the the moneyed clubs of Spain, Italy, and England coming and taking the, the best talent away. James, I'm thinking it's going to take a massive effort to get to the latter stages of this competition this season. It's so congested, isn't it? That the nature of the season, same for all teams in all leagues, but um, you'd expect teams with quality and depth to have a, a massive advantage. Yeah, and, and I think you know Liverpool do have that in most departments apart from defensively you know I think I think we will see Klopp really shuffling his pack attacking wise I think you know you you look at the weekend I don't think Divock Origi didn't even make the bench I think and obviously Shakiri having stayed put you know I think I think players like that will have a part to play in the next couple of months because it is 
you know, it is a crazy schedule. I think I think the Ajax games, the first of six matches in the space of 17 days, culminating in that trip to City just before the international break, and then um, you know straight after that, it's it, it's pretty pretty packed again. Um, so so yeah, it is you know squad depth. I don't think has ever been more important than it is this season, just with the nature of it, with the season starting late and with and with you know essentially a full season being squeezed into three or four you know less weeks than than, than usual. So um, so yeah, ro- rotation is going to be key um, because you know I just don't think it's realistic to think that that Klopp can even think about you know just going from game to game with 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 the same kind of eleven or twelve personnel. I think back to that that Atletico game, Kiever, and I love the Champions League, and that still disappoints me how that night ended. I'd love them to do well um, this season. Are you expecting Liverpool and Ajax to be fighting it out at the top of this group? It feels like the Champions League over the past couple of years has been like a little bit of a break from the intensity of needing to win every game in the Premier League. Like I don't necessarily think. Even in the group stages, Liverpool need to go out and win every game. You know, they've shown that over the last couple of seasons. I think, you know, as fans, you'd want them to do that just to make it easier and get qualified before, you know, all the games are done. But yeah, the Champions League always feels like a little bit of an enjoyment and a break. Um, And it just does feel like the lads have mentioned, really sad the fans won't be able to enjoy that because, you know, it's a trip to some beautiful European cities isn't it and I think it's always good to have that in your season just to take the little bit of sort of pressure out of the Premier League run and you know the pressure's massive now for Liverpool without Van Dijk so I think you know you do look forward to these midweek games and you know I think Liverpool with with any team can prove even you know without such a a player can can go far in this competition you know let's hope they go far enough where Van Dijk's back Um, sooner than we think and um, you know he can he can crack on in the knockout stages yeah some of those trips are, are definitely magical um, right that's been the Red Agenda the one thing we've missed this week and some of the greatest feedback we've ever had on the Red Agenda has been about your pets James um, you, have, you, have you segregated them are they, are they not allowed in the recording room anymore do you know what they're both very close by I've got um, the, the puppy's actually asleep at my feet right and they're and the cat is messing around with my glasses on the table. So, um, yeah, don't don't tempt fate, Steve. I, I think the listeners prefer chaos in in, in the back. <laughs> I'm, I'm right on our side. That's the, one of the greatest feedbacks we've ever had. James's dog going crazy on the pod. It's the way James normally leads his life. This clean cut image that he's trying to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> was, was he heard swearing at his, 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 his pets? I mean, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, get them riled up next time, guys. Thank you very much indeed, uh, James Simon Kiva, and the. Red Agenda's back in a week's time on The Athletic. 